Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. I came across a story that, that really just struck a nerve in my heart. It was, it was about a family. Uh, it was a young couple uh, who moved in uh, next door to this elderly couple. And about a year went by, and they ended up having a, a daughter by the name of Katie. And Katie started to really grow fond of the older gentleman, and he became kind of a grandfather figure to her. And uh, so they just struck, struck up a great relationship. But that year, um, or a couple years in, uh, he ended up getting sick, and he ended up passing away. And so the daughter of this elderly gentleman showed up on the door of, of this couple's home. Uh, the, the dad's name was William, and the daughter's name was Katie. And the, the daughter of this elderly gentleman shows up with a bag full of presents. Let me show you how they were wrapped. So beautiful. So, so intentional. And there, there was a, a 14 presents in this bag. Uh, one, for the, every, every one present for the next 14 years that Katie could open. And so the dad was just like blown away. Like, what in the world? Who does this, right? And so he wasn't sure. He's like, man, should we open up all the presents right away? Should we, uh, you know, open up once, one present every year? But then they were a little bit nervous about that because what if she's 16 and it's Legos? So they weren't really sure what to do. And so he took to Twitter and he asked for people's help. Well, 67,000 people responded. But they were overwhelmed, not just the fact that you know, this scenario was happening, they were overwhelmed of the selflessness of this man who's getting ready to die and lavishes this little girl with all of these gifts. In his last hours, that was his wish. He wanted to make sure that every Christmas for the next 14 years, that it was a good one for her. And what was interesting was all these people on Twitter started responding more. They said, no, you got to open up one per year. Who cares if they're Legos? Like one per year. And so that's what they ended up doing but the bigger portion of this was they started to comment, this blows my mind because I don't even know my neighbor. And then another person was like, yeah, me neither. And so on this particular Christmas, they all, like thousands of people made an attempt to go next door to build relationship with their neighbor. Come on, isn't it, isn't it good when we start to get outside of ourselves a little bit? Like it feels so good sometimes to step outside of us. Uh, a few years back, I uh, was at a John Maxwell speaker trainer coach conference getting certified as a, as a speaker trainer coach. And we're at this conference. Let me show you John. John Maxwell's a great, great dude. He, uh, he was a pastor for about 25 years, and now he's one of like the leading leadership gurus in the world. And uh, we had the privilege of, of going out to Florida and, and being certified with his program. And somebody asked during a Q&A, they asked him, they said, hey, John, why in the world are you trusting us with your name? Because as a speaker trainer coach, we can, um, we can use his material for profit, and we can teach his material legally, and he's giving it to us. Obviously, we, you know, we went through his program and all that good stuff, but somebody was saying, why would you do this, John? You've worked so hard to build a, a great reputation. You've worked so hard for your name. Why would you entrust us with your legacy? And John kind of sat for a minute, and he was thinking, he said, you know, that's a really great question. He said, it's a great risk for me to trust you with my name. But he said, it's an even greater risk not to. He said, nothing would be worse than my life's work to die with me. And so in light of that, I'm giving it to you to go and make a difference. And you get this picture in your mind like, man, life is so much better when it's not about you when it's not about me. 
And we all, we all have had moments of that, but a lot of times we digress to self. We're just kind of bent towards us, right? And we live in a world where there, there's some concerns rising up. I mean, the, the word joy is everywhere. It's on Ikea packages now. I mean, joy is just everywhere. They use it for marketing. You walk into Walmart, you'll probably see three signs that say joy. So joy, the word is everywhere, yet statistics are showing that the rate of unhappiness in people is climbing. A poll was recently done, and this happens every single year, that people are more or less, they're less content this year than they were in 2018. They're more unhappy. They're more miserable. And this pattern has continued over the last several years since they started doing this poll. And I think, I think it's, it's interesting because the article went on to say everybody's a little bit scattered right now. There, there, there's a sense of, of fear. There's a sense of, of uncertainty as people look at the political world, as people are turning on the news. There's just a constant, you know, sense of, of divide uh, with all of the social upheaval, the, all these different things that are hitting us, uh, the economy, natural disasters. People are just trying to figure out where am I going to fit in the midst of all this, in the midst of this narrative, where What's going to happen to me? And so in light of all of that, what happens is when we're feeling unhappy, when we're feeling scared, when we're, we're feeling uncertain, a lot of times we digress to self, self-preservation. What's going to happen to me? How am I going to make it? And the article said that people are just exhausted today and that anxiety is on an all-time rise. You start to think, you know, I've done a lot of funerals in the last 20 years. And I've, I've had some rough ones. My, my first funeral, two kids burned in a fire. My second funeral was a, a heroin overdose. My third funeral was a dad committed suicide. It was like, I was like baptized by fire. I think all the funerals I did were for people under 25 until I got to like my 15th or 20th funeral. I mean, whether it's murder or, I mean, so you, you kind of, you get to experience a, a lot of things and you get to see people in a, in a lot of difficult circumstances and you get to see God's faithfulness in the midst of all of that. But I've, at each funeral, there's something that's read that's called a eulogy. And a eulogy, it's, it kind of describes the person's life. It, it, it puts into play um, everything that they have accomplished for themselves as they have been living a life on this earth. And I felt the Lord speak to me one time. He said, Matt, I don't want you to have a great eulogy. I want you to leave a great legacy. See, a eulogy talks about everything that you have accomplished many times for yourself. Sometimes others are mentioned in there, but it predominantly revolves around you, where a legacy is really given at what you've sacrificed for the sake of others, that they might be good and that life for them might go well. You see, I believe, in, and you don't have to take my word for it, but I think we can prove from Scripture, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, that, that our ultimate purpose, the ultimate purpose of my life and of your life is to make an eternal difference. Like, this is where life is best lived when you and I are making an eternal difference. In fact, Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15. He said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, this word fruit, um, in this particular context, it means to advance the kingdom, that when you and I are advancing the kingdom, when we're getting outside of ourselves and living on mission to fulfill the great commission to go into the world and make disciples, to go and to reach people, the Lord says, listen, I get so much glory from that, and it's truly evidence that you're my disciples because followers fish. That's what they do. 
Find people, found people, go and find people. And so it's evidence that we're really following Jesus, but it also gives God glory, but that's not all it produces. In fact, Jesus continues later in the passage. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things, why? So that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. It's almost as if God has wired us in, in such a way that as you and I are giving our lives away, as we're getting outside of ourselves, as we're living on mission for him to reach those that aren't here yet, to go and reach and to find God's lost kids, somehow in this equation, it's like God has designed us in such a way where in that place we find two things. We find great joy and God gets glorified. And so a lot of times when we come to church, it's like, I want a message for me. And I'm telling you, this is for you. Jesus said, this is for your joy, that your joy might be complete. Could it be that happiness is in, at an all-time low is because we're so focused in, as a culture on ourselves. And we're, we're kind of losing our way. But, but in God's presence, it says that there is fullness of joy, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And, and the Lord is for our real joy, not, not like fake joy. Not like when your team wins, and come on, you know the Raiders are losing today. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, feel it. I want you to feel that. But even if they win, it's not real joy. It's temporary happiness. But listen, listen, money, I'm just kidding. Come on, we, we can have fun in church, right? Some of you guys are like, you're about to stone me. We're going we're gonna to talk about idolatry today. We're going to switch gears, talk about idol worship. Uh, so, so, but in all seriousness, like your money is not going to produce lasting joy. Your portfolio is not going to produce lasting joy. Your career, your vacation, your next vacation, you're coming back more stressed out probably. It's, it's not going to produce the joy that God is talking about. He's saying when you get outside of you, that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be made complete. That somehow in this process of following the Lord and our love relationship with him, his commands are not a burden to us. But rather as we follow him, there is a joy that comes with that that transcends circumstance. Let that sink in for a moment. Because see, God has has blessed us. God has given us things. God has designed us in such a way to be on mission. God has designed us in such a way to find the greatest joy when we're outside of ourselves. Uh, Paul, uh, or I'm I'm sorry, uh, in the book of Acts, uh, quoting Jesus, um, says that, that it is more blessed to give than receive. It's just far more blessed to give than receive. Like God has designed it this way. In fact, as we go all the way back to, to Abraham, right, the, the, the founder of our faith, right, the, the patriarch, God said, I'm pulling you out of an idolatrous nation, culture, and I'm going to make a nation out of you, Abraham. I'm going to set you apart for myself. And look what he says. The Lord says something very interesting to him. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So he says, listen, Abraham, I'm going to make you great, man. You're not going to be great, not really that great right now, but I'm going to make you great. I'm going to bless you more than you could ever imagine. I'm going to make your reputation unbelievable. Why? 
so that you will be a blessing. Oh, go back, so that you will be a blessing. He says, I'm going to do all these things for you so that you could be a blessing to others. Like, I'm for your joy. You're going to find great joy in this, but it's not just for you. Like, I have not blessed your life just for you. He goes on to say, he says, I will make you, he says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, that's a big statement. All peoples. Like Abraham, the world, the nations are going to be blessed because I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing to the world. Now think about for Abraham. He doesn't have technology. When God says all peoples, so much of the world that Abraham just didn't even, didn't even know, couldn't even fathom what that would even mean. What if God told you today that, that the world is going to be blessed? He's going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to all peoples. Would you believe him? Would you believe that our God is so big that he could use you to impact nations? We just saw a giant in the faith go home to be with Jesus this week, Ryan Harbonke. A life that impacted nations. Nations. A giant lived a legacy life. He was saying to Abraham, I'm going to impact the world through your life. Fathom that. What if God were to ask you that same question today? Do you believe that I can impact the world through your life? They say, Pastor Matt, I mean, come on. This is an ancient text. Like, you're really going to, like, stand on this ancient time? I mean, this is like Old Testament. I, absolutely. Because let me tell you what Paul says in Galatians. Paul says it this way. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles, meaning everybody who's not Jewish, um, with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. So that... We who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Now, as mind-blowing as it seems that God would use one man to, 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 to reach and to impact nations, Abraham believed it. He trusted God. And the Bible says that it wasn't because of his works. God wasn't using him because Abraham was awesome. And God said, I'm going to make you great. Will you trust me? Will you believe me? And the Bible says that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, not by his works, purely by faith alone. And Paul is, is reiterating this beautiful reality that now in Christ, not by our works, but through faith, listen, God would save us and God would place his spirit on the inside of us, which is the day that the prophets longed for. Like Moses would have died for that moment. See, they were grateful when the Spirit of God would come upon them. Paul said, no, no, no. Now the Spirit of God is able to live in you because of Christ, because of his sacrifice, because of the crucifixion, because of his life, death, and resurrection. That is extremely powerful. And that makes you and I extremely blessed as followers of Jesus. And so, so get this picture in your mind. With that reality, God says, now I've called you as blessed as we are to go and be a blessing, to go into the world and share this beautiful reality. And so let me just tell you, church, sometimes I got to remind us of why we exist. I'm not just talking about Fountain Church. I'm talking about the Capital C Church. 
of why we exist to move people closer to God and closer to others. We, we cannot forget our mission. There's so many people that are hurting today. There's a world that is desperate for, for the good news of the cross, the good news of this reality that, man, God is for them. God loves them, that there's, there's redemption. Like, the world is starving for this message. The hard part, though, is a lot of times we're just bent towards self. We're just bent towards us. I'm bent towards me. Like, I mean, left to myself, I'm like, Matt, Matt. Like we're just, we're just bent towards ourselves. We're bent towards selfishness, and so we got to constantly be reminded. got to constantly be reminded that, hey, listen, there's so much more than me, CI. Like life is so much more than us. And the Lord says, listen, it is for his glory, and it's for your joy, so lean in. And so Scripture's always giving us instruction, always reminding us of this beautiful reality. In fact, there was a guy by the name of Paul. Some of you guys might know him as the Apostle Paul. If you're new to church, this guy hated Christianity. So if you're here and you hate Christianity, man, you're in great company. So glad you're here today. <laughs> Truthfully, it's a safe place to ask questions. It's a safe place to be skeptical. You don't have to believe to to be here today. So, um, but hopefully you, you catch the heart of God for you. And, and I, I want you to get this picture because Paul has this radical encounter with Jesus. Hates, I mean, he was a religious guy. He was a religious leader, hated Christianity, wanted to wipe it off the face of the map, encounters Jesus. God changes his life. He becomes the greatest, one of the greatest catalysts for the gospel. Um, and we're still benefiting off of what God did. We're still able to receive the blessing that Paul was as a result of him trusting Christ. And so he was writing to, to one of the young pastors that, that he took under his wing, a guy by the name of Timothy. And Timothy's pastor in a church. And so Paul was like, listen, you got to command your church. you got to remind them of this vivid reality. you got to help them remember why we exist. And look what Paul tells Timothy. He says this. He says, command those who are rich in this present age, rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Because a lot of times, the more we have, the easier it is to think more highly of ourselves and look down upon others. It's just the reality. Now, I know some of you are thinking right now, well, cool, this passage doesn't apply to me because I'm not rich and I ain't got a lot. <laughs> Hang tight. He said, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And so listen, like the things that God has blessed us with, it's for your joy. Like, God wants you to enjoy, I mean, as you're out in creation, as, as you're living the life that you're living and the blessings that God has given you, it's not just so you're miserable. No, it's so you can enjoy them. Like, it can be about us a little bit. It just can't be all about us. But you ready for the caveat? So this word rich, it's interesting in the original language. Sometimes we lose a little bit in the English translation, translation but this word rich it means an abundance of God's provision. I love this word that it uses, God's muchness in our life. Both material and spiritual blessing. So he's not just talking monetarily. He's saying, man, God has blessed all of us in, in particular ways. Some of us are a little bit more blessed in, in these areas. Some of us are a little bit blessed in these areas. But sometimes I just think, you know, we get confused on what it really means to be rich, what it really means to be wealthy. I think a lot of our perspective is a little bit skewed. Uh, for example, when a, a, a poll was done uh, asking the United States of America, how much money do you need to have to be rich? Well, the number came back 150000 And then people who made 150000 were like, what? That's nothing. <laughs> if you see my school bills, 
And so they went back to the drawing board and they found out that people that made $35,000 a year said that $75,000 a year, they'd be rich. And then people that made $5 million a year were like, if I had $10 million, I would be rich. In other words, nobody thinks they're rich, but everybody knows somebody who is. And it doesn't matter what level you're on. But just to put things in perspective, as far as, uh, as, far as wealth or as far as material things uh, come down to it, is that, that if you make $45,000 a year combined income, you are in the top 1% of the most wealthiest people in the world. And a lot of us, we don't feel that way. But even those of us who are a little bit tight, we still have rich people problems. It's like, like we get on an airplane, we're flying 30,000 feet in the air, 25,000, maybe 10, something like that, in a big piece of metal and some of the greatest technology on the planet, and we complain because our Wi-Fi is not working. They want to charge me eight bucks for Wi-Fi? Like, like you're, you're, you're floating in air. That's pretty awesome, Right? Like some of us this morning, we walked into a room where our clothes live. And then guess what we said? I don't have anything to wear. It's rich people problems. It's rich people problems. But Paul is not just talking about wealth. He's talking, listen, how has God blessed you? He goes on to say this. He goes on to say, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. It's so interesting to me that the more we have, stats show that the less we're generous. And I think a lot of times, because when we don't have a lot, we're like, who cares? There's no trust in that. But, but imagine this, God has blessed all of us in different ways. So like if you have a great marriage, what is Paul saying? If you don't have any money, but you have a great marriage, share it. Listen, if you're single and you're walking and living in purity, share it. Man, if you're walking closely with God, you understand what it means to have a healthy devotional life. And so many people are struggling what it looks like to spend time with God. Share it. If it is wealth, share it. Like, what he's saying is, however God has blessed you, it's not just for you. And it's not just for me. And so he said, I want you to focus, Timothy. You got to get a different perspective, man. You got to see from up here. You got to look through the lens of eternity. Because how you see eternity will determine how you invest your life in this present world. He said, and I want you to take hold of life that is truly life. Listen, build up a firm foundation, not here. Don't even look for reward here. Like know that you're building something that's far greater, that God is using your life to build something far greater, that you are establishing something. Listen, you are establishing treasures and a foundation in, in heaven in eternity. He says, man, you got to get your eyes fixed on what's truly life. You got to see from a different perspective. And we've been looking at the life of Nehemiah over the last four weeks, and, and this was Nehemiah's heart. He, he lived a legacy life. And Nehemiah was in the palace serving the Persian king. You know, still not in charge. He was a cupbearer to the king, but he's a living plentiful. He's very comfortable 
He hears that the, the walls uh, in Jerusalem have been torn down. The gates have been burned. They're still lying in ruins. And he hears that the people are hopeless. They're in despair. And God begins to break his heart for the people. And God gives him a vision to say, man, God, would it be possible for you to reverse these ruins? Would it be possible, God, for you to do something? And so, so that's what he does. He travels a 1,000 miles on some of the roughest terrain to go from the palace to the rubble. And he didn't have a Range Rover. Right? We're talking maybe, maybe, maybe some donkeys to bear some of the load. But a lot of that was on foot. He didn't have Jordans. I mean, so, so he, a thousand miles to go to a place where he's going to help rebuild only to not really enjoy it for himself, but to go back to serving the king. Like this whole trip was not about him. It was about God's glory and the people's good. It wasn't about him. He was living a legacy life. So, so what does that look like? What does it take to live a legacy life? Take notes, you can jot this down. The first one is this, it takes faith. See, we that want to leave a legacy, we see it. We see something. I love Michelangelo when he uh, constructed the the statue of David. Let me show you a a picture of what that looks like. I couldn't show you the whole picture because there's some obscenity in there. So, um, Just in case. But this came from rubble. Like he, he didn't have a perfect square piece of block with all these great designs. He didn't have any of that. So when people ask him, how did you, how did you get that? I could see it, he said. So easy. I could see it. And all I had to do was chip off everything around what I saw. Like, we, we got we to gotta see it. See, see, Nehemiah had a vision from God. He, he saw something that nobody could see for 140 years. These walls have lied in ruins. And Nehemiah just, God birthed something inside of him. He's like, I see something. Like, could you see today that God wants to use you as a key instrument to bless all peoples? Could you see and believe that? Because you, you may say, well, No, I I can't because you're looking at the death in your life. You're looking at the things that look barren. You're looking at your your current circumstance. You're looking at, you know, maybe where you're at in life, and you're just so not there. But neither was Abraham. God said, I'm going to make a nation out of you, and his wife was barren. Couldn't have any kids in their 90s. And it said, against all hope, Abraham believed. Can you see that? Because I see something. I see, I see a church where the broken are being taken care of. Like, like I, I see a church where the oppressed are really getting set free. Come on, I see a church where, where it's not just, you know, kind of fun and games and going through the motion, but people are really getting saved. God is really transforming lives. That's going out and changing the world. That can't keep their mouth shut because it's for real. I see a church that's operating in both truth and power. 
Like, I, I see a church that, like, like Jesus said, that goes out, that lets everything go, that leaves everything to follow him. I see a church where people are discovering their purpose, that they would know that God has got something bigger for them than just status quo. Like, I see a church where every nation, every tribe, every tongue is gathered on a Sunday, young and old alike. Can you see it? Can you see it? Because the, the prophetic word that was given over us when we first came was Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. And the Lord says this through the prophet Isaiah. It says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Can you see it? Can you perceive it? I'm making streams in the wilderness and rivers in the wasteland. And the prophet Isaiah is speaking of the Messiah, speaking of the Christ to come, where Gentiles, those who are far off, far away from God, would be able to be brought close. And God says, that's who you are as a church. That's who I've called you to be. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, right, that faith, faith is what? Faith is being sure of what we hope for. It's being certain of what we do not see. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for and being certain of what we do not see. You see, if we can't see it, we won't move. And so God's like, I need you to, I need you to see it. Because if we can't see it, we won't move. And it'll just be about us. And God says, that's not my best for you. That's not where I'm going to be glorified. And that's not where your joy is going to be complete. Is when it's all about you. Listen, he created stuff for our enjoyment. And listen, I'm preaching to myself, so I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm, I'm preaching to me too. But he created all these things, so it's not like we can't enjoy. He says, no, no, I want you to enjoy everything that I've given you, but it's not just for you. See, the disciples, there was a moment where Jesus is like making history. It's John chapter 4. Jesus is approaching a well in Samaria. And you got to understand the relationship between Jews and Samaritans. Jesus is about to break like the ultimate racial divide as he encounters not just a Samaritan, but a woman who was immoral. I mean, that was like the great, that was like triple no-no. And Jesus is like, we're going that way. And they stop there. Jesus is engaging this woman. Jesus sees a city that needs the gospel. Jesus sees a woman who's so thirsty. Her soul is just longing for something real. And the disciples said, hey, when are we getting lunch? Like, seriously, like, read the text. John chapter 4, go and read it. Hey, Jesus, uh, I don't know what you're doing with this lady. We're not supposed to be here. When are we getting lunch? Jesus is like, oh, man, you guys are down here. I need you to come up here. You can't see that city. You can't see this woman. If you can't see it, if I can't see it, we won't move. So Jesus looks at him, and look what he says. He says, Do you have, he says don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open up your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. If we can't see it, we won't move. But I'm excited that our church, I'm excited that we see it. I'm excited for what God is building here in and through us. And I want you to look at this next passage. Just let it minister to you because, Fountain Church, this is us. This is, this is what we do. Like, like, man, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful that we get to pastor this church. It's our honor. God is building this house. We're not building this house. But it's such an honor. I got people calling me like, hey, how, how are you guys so diverse? Like, man, it's just who we are. 
Like, like God is doing something so special here. This is not normal. Like, like my friends come and they're like, man, you got a lot more older people there. I'm like, yeah, what did you expect? We're in this together. God is building something. Look what the pastor says. It says, it says God is building a home. Come on, welcome home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here, because some of us, it's been a journey, hasn't it? And, and what he's building, he used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting, fitting you in brick by brick, serve team by serve team, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. And guess what? We see it. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God. All of us built into it, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, young and old alike, a temple in which God is quite at home and where the world can come and find refuge. And I'm not just talking about this building. Hey, we, I, we got news recently. One, a guy from our church went to go visit someone who was sick, led him to Jesus. Welcome home. Like, like it's, 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 so, it's so much more than just, just this. It's what we do outside of this gathering that's impacting the world. And, and you guys are doing this so well. Brick by brick, ushers and greeters, right? Brick by brick. Can, can, you, can, you, guys, can you guys see it? You know, there, there was a, a gentleman that was asked or, or a group of people that were asked because they were, they were building something. And, and somebody asked him, say, hey, what are you doing? He's like, man, I'm laying bricks. He asked another person, he said, what are you doing? He said, man, I'm building a wall. Then he asked the third person, he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm building the world's greatest cathedral. Do you see it? Because if you don't see it, if I don't see it, we won't move. It's bigger than us. And the Lord is saying, come up here. Let me show you life that's truly life. It's so much bigger than you. Will you trust me? Will you believe me? It takes faith. Number two, if you're taking notes, shout this down. It takes sacrifice. And sacrifice, we choose it. We choose it. And one of my favorite passages, if you can have a favorite passage in the Bible, I, I have one. I don't know if that's wrong or not, but I have a favorite passage. It's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And Paul the apostle says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that he's done, just look at all that he's done. Look at the cross. Look at the resurrection. Look at redemption. Look at, man, he heard your cry. Look, in light of all that he's done, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, for this is your reasonable act of worship. It's only reasonable in light of everything that he's done. And so sacrifice, we choose it, not because it's like, oh, man, like, all right, fine, God. Just go reach the people, go reach the world. No, it's in light of all you've done. I, wanna, I can't wait to tell them. I can't wait to show them. Like, like, are you serious? And so Nehemiah, what does he do? He lays aside his preference. He lays aside his comfort. He just cannot stand the fact that the walls have been torn down and the gates have been burned, that the people are, are hopeless. He can't stand it. I gotta go. And I love this. Jesus was having a dinner with his disciples and they were all fighting over who was gonna get the best seat. Who's gonna be the greatest? And Jesus says, let me show you guys what's up. You guys can fight for your seat. I'm gonna get out of mine. And I'm going to grab a towel, and I'm going to wash your feet. You're fighting for a seat when you should be giving it up. You're, you're thinking wrong. It's, you got you to get a different perspective. Don't fight for your seat. Man, think of who else needs one. 
Like all of us in here today are sitting in somebody else's sacrifice. All of us. If I think about, think about how many of you here are at church, how many of you have come to faith because somebody said, I'm going to choose to sacrifice my time and invest in you and invite you and share the gospel with you. Like, like think about that for a moment, right? I, I love this picture as well. Jesus, Jesus took up his cross like nobody forced him on it. He laid down his life. And that's what he says to us. He says, anybody wants to follow me. It's like, well, we don't like to preach this that much anymore, but I'm going to preach it anyways. If anybody wants to follow me, he must take up his cross. God's not going to take it for you. In light of all that he's done, if you get a great picture, if you can see life that's really life, you'll be like, give me that cross. Just like Peter. And matter of fact, when you crucify me, don't do it like the Lord turned me upside down because I'm not even worthy to be crucified like my Lord. That is a life. That is truly life. But we got to choose. So look at Nehemiah. It goes and it says this. It says, when the word came to Sambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem, and the rest of our enemies, I, that, that I had rebuilt the wall, and I love this, it's getting close, right? There was not a gap left. Though up to that time, I had not set the doors and the gates, so there's still a little exposure. But Sambalot and Geshem sent this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. And Nehemiah said, oh, no. But they were scheming to harm me. So now Nehemiah, they want to kill him. It's like at what point do you just say, man, I'm done with this. This is just too much. This is ridiculous. I, I came here to help all these people. And now, you know, God, what are you doing? I'm just th getting threatened all the time. Like, this is exhausting. But see, Nehemiah, he heard the cry of the people. It's, it's so easy to sacrifice when it's like I'm putting everything on the line, but, but there's something much greater than me that's on the line. And he was hearing the cry of the people. Can I just tell you, if you, if you, if you would listen, if I would listen, people are crying everywhere. Like I was in Walmart getting tires. By the way, tires are from the devil. They're so expensive. <laughs> Shout out to Walmart for like the best price. I was getting tires, and this girl, was she was get, about to get in her car. She was leaving, and I was, I don't know, I just had finished checking out, and uh, she's getting ready in her car. She had her boyfriend on speaker, and she was like, are you, he, she said, do you still need me to take you to court? And he just starts yelling at her, and she gets in the car, like, I can't talk to her. I, I just hear, and, and instantly, I'm like, I know she's being abused. I know that voice, and it's just the cry, and then I sat there, and I'm just thinking, like, God, this is why we do what we do. This is why all the beatings, all the everything that, you know, our, you know, uh, uh, Western world sufferings that we have to go through. I'm just like, man, this is why we do what we do, because there is a cry in the streets of people that are desperately needing life. And, and if you just listen, you can, you can hear the cries. That's the beauty of the Christmas message. Listen, Jesus heard our cries, so he came. So listen, but now, now listen, now that God has rescued us as followers of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's so cool. We're so glad you're here and, and you belong here. But listen, as us as followers of Jesus, listen, now as we hear the cry of the world, we got to go too. We got to go. I think that's a beautiful picture of the Good Samaritan. You have this guy that's broken and beat up on the side of the road, and, and, a, and a pastor and, 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 a, and a clergy person walk past him and ignore him. They're thinking, no, man, me. And then the Good Samaritan, of course, his enemy stops. 
and bandages him up, goes the extra mile to get him back to health. I love what Martin Luther King said. He said it, he said it this way. He said, the first two, they asked the wrong question. They asked the question, if I stop for this man, what will happen to me? When what they really should have asked, they, they really should have asked the question like the Good Samaritan did, if I don't stop for this man, what will happen to him? And so, so we, we, we got to just see from a different perspective. God has created us. Listen, it, it, there's going to be sacrifice and mission. We got to choose it. God's not going to twist your arm for it. You got to choose it. I, I love what this passage says. It says in 1 Peter, it says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Now, there's no more animal sacrifices. Like, after Christ, no more animal sacrifices, none of that stuff. How many of you guys are grateful for that? And be like, all right, get the gold, let's go, all right? Like, what in the world? I don't know how, like, like unchurched people are going to pallet that these days. Um, but now in Christ, man, we're, we're offering now the strength of our body. Man, we're going to say we're going to go, God. Sometimes we're risking our life to go to remote parts of the world to, to, to bring the gospel there, right? Uh, we're, we're, we're doing good. We're offering sacrifices of saying, God, we're going we're gonna to go and be a light in the midst of darkness. We're going to go and we're going to share what you've blessed us with. We're going to go. And even we have to sacrifice some of our desires and some of our preferences, man, we're going to continue to labor in prayer. And can I just tell you that the life of sacrifice, it's, it's the Christian life. And it's the way of joy. It's the way of true joy. So by no means do you hear me saying, oh, man, it's Christian life. That's life without him. That's a life focused on self. And the world is confirming that leaps and bounds. Leaps and bounds. Third thing is this. I'm almost done. Third thing is it takes discipline. A lot of times discipline is like a bad word today, especially in church. Like discipline. But then, like, like workout people that can use it, and everybody's like, yeah. But you get into church, you're like, discipline. You're, like, trying to be religious with me, and, you know. Like, no, like, I'm trying to help you out. But I put, it takes discipline, and we enjoy it. You know, only, only a fool despise, dis, despises discipline, Proverbs tells us. I, I love how Craig Rochelle puts it, and this, this is going to, like, make sense. Discipline is choosing what you want most over what you want now. It's choosing what you want most over what you want now. And, and, and Sambalot and Tobiah were really working hard to get Nehemiah to come down off of this wall because they saw that the gaps were being filled in. They saw what was happening. In fact, look, look what it says. It says, he says, I sent messengers to them, Nehemiah did, saying, I'm doing a great work, man. I'm going to be faithful to what God had called me to do. I'm doing, a, I'm doing a great work here. He says, I can't come down. Like, why should the work stop while I leave it to go down to you? Like, I know what you're doing, right? He says, four times they sent the same message. The enemy just loves to wear on you. When I'm talking about the enemy, I'm talking about the devil. It's a real battle we're in. And he just wants to wear on you. Oh, just message after message after message. He says, the fifth time they sent the same message by his young servant, who had in his hand an unsealed letter that read, so they read it to everybody, and it was a false lie against Nehemiah that he was trying to take over the kingdom. It was just, it just falsehood. And Nehemiah's like, I ain't coming down. Like, how easy is it for, that, for the enemy to get you to come down? How easy is it for him to get you out of prayer, to get you apart from God's word, to get you to quit? to get you to quit, you know, laboring and being faithful? How, how easy is it for him to, for you to give up on people? How easy is it for you to digress to selfishness and greed and just being all about you and me? 
how much effort does it cause, does it take the enemy to get you to say, you know what, man, forget this, man. I'm doing me today. Because if I'm being honest, man, sometimes it's not that much for me. Some days are better than others. But those things never end well. It's, it's interesting with the Lord. Like I, Nehemiah was like, I'm loving being with God. I'm loving doing what God has called me to do. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, you guys are threatening my life. Yeah, it's, I'm working with people that used to be perfumers and we're trying to make bricklayers out of them. Like, yeah, it's, this is difficult. But I love, I love so much bigger than me. It's for God's glory and it's for the people's good. Like, I'm enjoying this. I ain't coming down. I'm not coming down. I'm gonna run the plan. I'm gonna keep going. Listen, can I just tell you, in the kingdom of God, discipline will always turn into a delight. Discipline will always turn into a delight. It may be a little bit of sacrifice in the beginning, but you're like, man, it was so worth it. It was so worth it. So my question is, what's your price? What's your price? There was a guy who was offered $150,000 to smuggle cocaine through the Panama Canal on his boat. Answer the phone, nope, sorry. They called him again, we'll see, we'll give you 250 grand. Nope. Called him again, we'll offer you a half a million dollars Nope. They called him again. He didn't answer. And his wife said, how come he didn't answer? He said, they're almost to my price. <laughs> almost to my price. How easy is it for the enemy to get you down? The last one is this. If you're taking notes, jot this down. The last one is this. It takes freedom. It takes freedom. We got to face it. You know, it, one of the things we don't like to do is to face our own brokenness and pain. We just hate doing that. We don't like to talk about it. We just like to evade it. We don't like to talk about our dysfunctions. We like to cover it with sarcasm and humor. And... But the beautiful thing about Nehemiah, man, it takes freedom to live a legacy life, to leave a legacy life. I'm not talking perfection, but I am talking direction. Is that it takes freedom to leave a legacy life because truth be told, you know, Nehemiah could have just lost it, right? But he was so rooted in truth. It was like, everything you're saying is a lie. I know the truth. And my God is faithful. And Nehemiah had a great, just use the tools of freedom. Like when people were opposing him, what did he do? He took it to God, not to heart. We learned that last week. And he just did this over and over and over. I'm going to bring it to you, God. You hear their accusations, but I'm going to keep building. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to take it to you. He didn't feel the need to defend himself. He let God defend him. Can I just tell you the best kept secret of this whole sermon series? If you let God defend you, it's a whole lot better than you defending yourself. And how distracting would that have been for him? Right? I mean, how easy. Nehemiah said, what you want to, you know, get down this thing. Let's go. That's brokenness. Nehemiah's like, oh, I ain't got time for that. I'm seeing something seeing something. No, we're, 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 we're sacrificing. We got, we're loving what we're doing for God. We're, we're, I'm free. And I'm not, I'm not moved by your threats. It goes on to say this about Nehemiah. It says, it says, uh, then I sent him this reply. There's nothing to those rumors you're spreading about me. You're inventing them in your own mind. For they were trying to frighten us, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will never be finished. But now, my God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands. It goes on to say, it says, but I replied. So, so they, they make up this whole story about Nehemiah and, and, and they try to set him up to get killed. 
to bring him into the temple. They said, you need to come to church. Well, they're gonna kill him in the, in the temple. You need to come to church, bro, so you'll be safe. And Nehemiah said, no. Should a man like me run away? Should a man like me go in the, to the temple to save his, life, his own life? No. I'm building something. And God has got my back. And I'm just going to let it be what it may be. But I ain't coming down from this wall. We need heart. We, our, our, listen, church, we got to have a heart like that. That means we got to deal with our stuff. Well, I didn't say that. You know, I didn't say, you know, I'll just, you're always trying to, you know, stop. Get rooted in truth. Let your identity be secure in who God has called you to be. And let the dice fall where they may as you crowd to him, Lord, deal with my enemies. I'm building something. I see something that's worth sacrificing for. That's worth the discipline. It's such a delight. And God, I thank you for the freedom that I have in you. We're building it in record time. The gaps are closing. Lord, we know it's urgent. We can't stop. 